from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. And friends, we turn now to our scripture lesson for the morning, just one short one from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15, which can be found on page 20 in the New Testament in your pew Bibles. Hear now God's word for you and for me. Then little children were being brought to him in order that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid his hands on them and went on his way. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Let us sing. <laughs> Thank you. this old word speak to us anew today. Let us have open hearts and minds to receive it, 
to be like children ready for your blessing, called to go out from this place to love and to serve in your name. Amen. I think this was the first passage of scripture I ever memorized, and here's how that happened. In the Presbyterian church where I grew up, which was a big church in a small town, this passage was part of every baptism. It was much as we just celebrated the sacrament now, the family with the child or children to be baptized came in, and then with them came a child of the church, about seven or eight years old. The pastor did the introduction, and then the seven or eight-year-old would either read or recite Matthew 19, 14, and 15, either nervously reading from an index card, remember how we all used to use index cards to give speeches, or if they'd memorized it, proudly standing up and showing off their hard work. It was the King James version of the Bible. So the verse I memorized, and maybe the verse some of you knew growing up, started with what word? Suffer. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. As I sat in the pew, a child myself, maybe five or six years old, because I was old enough to be there, but not old enough to participate yet, I had two strong reactions to this repeated moment in worship, so strong that I remember them still. The first was nervousness on behalf of that little kid up there reading or reciting. I sat there thinking how nerve-wracking that would be. Little did I know. I hoped for each of those little kids that they would get the words right and not take any awkward breaks or, worst of all, have to start over. And my second reaction as a kid was profound confusion at the word suffer. This was a moment of celebration. There was a baby or a child or several being baptized, welcomed into our family. I heard Jesus saying, forbid them not, but there was that word suffer in there. I didn't know then as a little kid that the Bible wasn't originally in English or that every word I was hearing had been someone's translation choice. I didn't know that that Greek word means allow or let. Suffer is a particular kind of connotation to it. Allow may be more like tolerate. What Jesus was saying was, let them come. Don't block these little ones. I didn't know then that this was a new idea, that Jesus was saying something new to his disciples. And I didn't know that my experience of a warm and doting Jesus putting his hands on the heads of small children to bless them, like the picture we have in the stained glass in our reception room next door, I didn't yet know that that experience was vastly different from how childhood was in the first century, or in truth, how vastly different it was from childhood for so many children today. I sat there in my pew and wondered how I would get through that scripture if I ever needed to recite it. But that was the extent of my worry. I never wondered for a moment if my needs would be met. I never wondered for a moment whether I would be welcomed or celebrated, really, by my church and the family around me. I imagine that that kind of security is how many of us here in this congregation think about childhood. 
or what we hope for, at least. So it might seem obvious to us that we should stand with children, that we should care for them and advocate for them when they aren't cared for. And if anyone came in here and asked us whether we stand for children, what would we say? Well, that was sort of a weak response. <laughs> wow. Again, with feeling. Yes, of course we stand with children. We might even be defensive or indignant. Just look at our kids. We love them. But this passage reminds us today, people who do love children, of two really important things. First, that this welcome by Jesus of children was a radical reversal of the world order of the day. It was radical for Jesus to stand with children, just as it was radical for Jesus to stand with the poor and the oppressed, the widow and orphan, the stranger and those who suffer, each of the weeks of focus in this sermon series. In the ancient world, children were not just vulnerable, they were nothing. Scholars think that the infant mortality rate was around 30% and that fully 60% of children didn't live to turn 16. Children didn't have any economic or legal status. It didn't really make sense to invest in lives that wouldn't last. So even though parents loved their children, families weren't organized around children or focused on making sure the needs of children were met in the way many of our families are today. But Jesus, takes those nothings and elevates them to the highest status in the kingdom of heaven. All through the gospel, he's been teaching his disciples how to live together as a community. This is sort of the point. He knows what will come, and he knows that they have to be ready to live out community after he's gone. This section of Matthew's gospel is focused on how to care for the little ones. So Jesus actually brings a child, physically takes a child and puts the child in front of his disciples to show them what it's like to interact with the child. He says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, this has been a repeating theme for us this Lent. Jesus isn't telling us to extend welcome to the poor and oppressed and widow and orphan and stranger and children and suffering just because he says so. He's telling us that when we welcome them, we welcome him. Those weak and lowly ones are Jesus among us. Skipping ahead a few verses to today's passage, people are bringing their children to Jesus, parents probably, and the disciples are chastising those people, trying to set up a barrier and keep the children from getting to our Lord. But Jesus says, let the little children come. They are the stuff of the kingdom. God's kingdom belongs to the people who are worth nothing to the world. Jesus shows his disciples what life together in the new community should look like. These little ones are not only tolerated, not suffered, but are welcomed and blessed. They are invited to come into the circle, to be present. So this passage first reminds us that we, as disciples today, 
are called to live that kind of community where the last are first and little ones are welcome. And second, Matthew's passage reminds us that Jesus' welcome is for all children, not just the ones we know, not just the ones who are part of our own households. Our call is to think about the welcome we claim in Jesus Christ, the one we hold to so tightly in our hearts, and to extend that same welcome to all children. Writing about this passage, Tom Long says, Decent people are willing to be charitable, willing to reach out and make a contribution to the downtrodden. Jesus' word, however, is much more radical. The little children, the migrant worker, the forgotten woman in the back ward of a nursing home, the teenager abandoned on the streets, those are the ones to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs. They have nothing, nothing except the care of a merciful God. Having nothing but God, then, they have everything. The mission of the church is not to pass a plate of food out the back door, but to set a place for these little ones at the family feast. That is still our task. That is still the example and command of our Lord, because it wasn't just in the first century that children were not valued or loved. It isn't just a historical fact that children used to be vulnerable and not have their needs met. For us today, this passage is a reminder that God's children all over the world, God's children in this country, God's children in the city around us are still weak and vulnerable, still struggling to live, still desperately in need of the mercy and blessing that we all claim as God's children. About a year ago, I had the chance to hear Robert Putnam speak. Some of you may have read him or heard him. He's a well-credentialed Harvard professor and social scientist. One of his recent books is called Our Kids, subtitle, The American Dream in Crisis. Putnam and his research team traveled around the country talking with kids and their parents to try to find out what it's like to grow up in America today. They started in, in Bob Putnam's own hometown, a Rust Belt town called Port Clinton, Ohio. The author describes the town as he knew it when he was growing up in the 1950s. He said parents and shopkeepers and teachers and pastors and principals and coaches all offered advice and opportunity and support to all kids, rich or poor, black or white. He was surprised to find, these many years later, a town with two sides, one with an upper middle class of kids growing up with college funds and traveling soccer teams and caring godparents, and another working class of kids facing obstacle after obstacle, some within their control, some the result of choices somebody else made. Parents who were incarcerated, abusive step-parents, inability to participate in those extracurricular activities that could bridge the opportunity gap because each of those things costs money. We can think about what that looks like in our own lives. Participation fees, uniforms, travel, photos, team snacks. Bob Putnam was shocked 
at the gap that had divided his hometown. So he set about to find out whether this was an anomaly or the norm around the country. His team went to cities all over that represented different kinds of economies and different cultures. One of them is Atlanta. It's a fascinating read and I commend it to you. They found out that this opportunity gap is the case most everywhere. They saw that creating opportunities for kids is now more and more a private responsibility. And that when we talk about our kids, the circles we're drawing are growing smaller and smaller. Their study was focused on the different experience of middle and upper middle class kids versus working class kids, not even to mention kids who are homeless on the street or have run away. But they found that even these two groups live in entirely different worlds, with the middle and upper middle class kids walking down toward a future that has been laid out for them, while the working class kids can see that future and are being told, that's not for you. He writes, this is not the first time in our national history that widening socioeconomic gaps have threatened our economy, our democracy, and our values. The specific responses we've pursued to these challenges to restore opportunity have varied, but under them all was a commitment to invest in other people's children. Underlying that commitment was a deeper sense that those kids too were our kids. Jesus said, let the little children come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not say, let their parents deal with them. He did not say, well, that's too bad. They were born into that particular circumstance or station. He did not say, take care of your own needs, and if there's something left over, share it with these little ones. Instead, he reversed a world order that would leave some with and some without. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about an opportunity gap, per se, or about making schools better or expanding extracurricular activities for all. But what he was talking about is what is under any of those efforts. He was talking about a community, a community where all children are welcome, a community where all children are loved. Jesus didn't have kids in his own household, but he welcomed all the children who were brought to him, not just tolerating them, but blessing them. He was saying to his disciples and to the adults in that community and to us here in this room and out in the world today, these are all my children and therefore they are all yours. As I said earlier, a team of eight people from our church returned from Cuba Wednesday night after spending five days with our partner church there. Our partner church is in a very small rural town called Perico, about a three-hour bus ride from the Havana airport. We learned that this church has only 28 members on its rolls, but twice that number in worship, notably a different ratio from our membership to worship ratio. 15 to 20 kids come to the church, some before, but most after school every day. And when we gathered with them one afternoon for fellowship and music and crafts, 60 kids came from the community. On our last full day together, we traveled to a farm 
and shared a meal crammed into a school bus that was shipped to Cuba from the United States in 1986, that looks very much as it did in 1986, singing and clapping all the way. There were 20 adults and 14 kids traveling with us, and at one point I said to the pastor of our partner church, her name is Zorky, which of these kids belong with which of these adults? She smiled. She explained to me that most of those kids come to the church even though the adults they live with do not. The church is their sanctuary. It is their play space. The pastor, her husband, and the church's leaders, most of whom are women, are the ones who teach those children, who celebrate when they sing a beautiful song or present you with a beautiful drawing, who praise them for learning a new vocabulary word. The church is their comfort when something makes them sad. They go there to learn. They go for music and art. They go to the church because the church welcomes them. We got to spend time with Dawid, a 12-year-old boy whose parents don't go to the church. His friends were giving him some grief because they're 12 and because he's into art and he really likes to make things with his hands. He shrugged off their teasing and I watched as he sat in a pew in this little sanctuary making a craft. It was a foam picture frame. Do you know the type I'm talking about? We can get them at easily at craft stores here. We had brought with us a whole bunch of stickers and letters and things for the children to use to make this craft. Now, what did most of the children do? Exactly what our children do here. They covered every square inch of that frame with a sticker or a letter or some piece of glitter. Turns out that no matter where you are, for children, more is more. But not Dawid. He sat very earnestly and picked out the letter stickers that would spell his name. And then under his picture, he put one sticker that said in Spanish, Christ is my heart. We got to know Imandra, a woman with developmental disabilities who lives with some cousins just a few doors down from the church, though no one else in her household comes. She is childlike, not even sure how old she is. There's no place for Amandra in that small town except for the church, but she is welcome and totally comfortable there. She stopped by each morning to ask whether any of us had any candy and to tell someone what had upset her, knowing that there at the church she would find a listening ear and the hug she needed. Children much younger would guide her and help her engage the activities of the day. And I watched that day on the farm as two older women in the church, Elisa and Blanca, took turns holding her hand or walking arm in arm with her all around the farm, listening as she exclaimed, letting her try the things she wanted to try. We got to know Jorge, a 12-year-old boy who lives with his grandmother. Jorge fell off a roof and was badly injured. He had to have surgery and close care for months and months. His mother lives in the United States and the church helps to care for him. He came to see his friends and to learn to play the guitar that lives at the church. And when he felt good about a song he'd been learning, Pastor Zorky invited him to play it for everybody. His scars are visible all over his legs, but he seems not to care a bit. He plays it cool at first, but then is totally excited about whatever activity pops up. 
The children come, Zorky explained, because there are no opportunities for them in their town. The pastor and her husband and the church adults are sharing Christ's welcome with a whole town of kids, treating all those kids as their kids. That congregation has made its mission not serving the people on its rolls, but serving the whole community. During our time in Cuba, we also got to visit with Juan Manuel Vasquez Iglesia, the painter who did these beautiful works and those that are on display in the reception room through Lent. I commend them to you. He won't say what his paintings mean because he wants everyone who looks at them to find their own meaning, but he does say that he's telling the story of the Cuban people. When I look at the child in this morning's painting, I remember the words of Pastor Zorky in our partner church. There are no opportunities for the children unless the church creates them. I see yearning and sadness there, a longing for something else, a need for the welcome and love that Jesus offers. And I hear the words of our Lord saying, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Friends, standing with children has everything to do with how we define community. Is it our own household? Is it a school or our neighborhood? Is it this church? Or does the community reach far beyond all of those to include kids we could quite easily not see? Like refugee children, children who spend their energy hiding the abuse they receive, children who live in motel rooms and sleep on somebody's couch, children who are separated from their parents because there is no shelter that will house their family, children who age out of foster care, children for whom school is a daily battle, children whose passions go to waste for lack of a participation fee, children of immigrants who fear losing their parents in a political skirmish children who have no place but the church, children for whom no one is creating opportunity. As the church, living Jesus's command to welcome the children, how will we define who are our kids? Amen. Go, my children, fed and nourished, joyful and free, Having received the welcome and blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we go from this place to share that same blessing with all of God's children. And as we go, we take courage and gain energy because the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ dwell in our hearts and guard our minds today and forever. Amen.